In episode 83 of MobyCast, we learned that containers are normal Linux processes, but they take advantage of powerful operating system functionality that gives these processes their container superpowers. In particular, we learned about namespaces and control groups, and how these features give rise to containers. This week on MobyCast, John and Chris wrap up their four-part series by discussing the runtimes and platforms used to run containers in production. We dive deep on Container D and Run C, arguably the most important container runtime out there. We also revisit our pseudo-code example of how to build a container from scratch, bringing us full circle on our quest to understand the differences between virtual machines and containers. Welcome to MobyCast, a show about the techniques and technologies used by the best cloud-native software teams. Each week, your hosts John Christensen and Chris Hickman pick a software concept and dive deep to figure it out. Welcome, Chris. It's another episode of MobyCast. Hey, John. It's good to be back. Yeah, good to have you back. Let's skip intros today because... We've been going a little long lately. There's so much to talk about with our revisiting of virtual machines and containers and the differences between them that I don't think we have time to talk pleasantries today. We should get right into it. Let's jump right in. (laughs) Yeah. So help us out. Get us started here. I guess we could do a little recap of last episode. Yeah, let's, let's start off with a quick recap. So last time we talked about at a high level, the two types of, of virtualization, and specifically we covered the operating system level of virtualization, which is also what we all are calling containers, right? So we're virtualizing at the operating system level where these containers are all sharing the same Linux kernel as opposed to VMs, which are virtualizing the entire machine and have their own virtualized, their own kernels. Um, we talked a little bit about container history and how this is not really a new concept. It really kind of started really with, with Chirrut, um, and then FreeBSD jails in 2000 kind of added some more support along the lines to kind of really give that isolation and the concept of container. And then Linux containers, um, LXE, came along in 2008, mm-hmm. which is re- that that's kind of like the same core technology even today that we're using. That's when namespace Linux namespaces and control groups um, came about and were formalized in containers with the LXC. And then Docker came on the scene in 2014 um, with its um, container system, and and it just took off from there, right? Docker was the one that really that really got the the developer adoption and traction, um, and kind of what we have come to to know and love about Docker today. So, so we talked about that, and then we also went in and we talked about just the underlying technologies again of what enables containers, and it really boils down to those those two things: namespaces and control groups. So namespaces control what a container can see and control groups specify what a container can do. Um, so limiting our access to, to resources like CPU and memory, that's done with control groups, and doing things like controlling access to what, what part of the file system we see, what, are, what network interfaces we see, uh, file system mounts, um, and then things like hostname, um, all that stuff is controlled by namespaces. So pretty fundamental to containers. And, and then, so now today we're going to finish up this, this four-part series in VMs versus containers, and, and we're going to finish it up by talking about what are the, 
how do you actually run these things, these containers? We talked about the core technology that enables them, but like we need a runtime for that. So we're going to talk about container runtimes. We'll talk about various platform impl- implementations for containers. And um, then I think we're also going to revisit our pseudocode example of, of like how do you actually create a container? And because um, I know we had some some kind of questions, it was a little murky last time around going through that. So I think you lost I, me. <laughs> so yeah, so I think after kind of talking about what we're going to talk about today, we'll revisit that, and hopefully um, it'll become much less murky, um, and it'll, that'll be a good point to wrap up. I originally kind of hope we would also talk a little bit about the future here um, and where VMs versus containers is going. And we're really now seeing this um, emerging concept of micro VMs, which is the best of both worlds um, and some pretty exciting projects taken off on that. But I think that's going to be too much for today and we're going to save that for a future episode. It won't be episode five. I promise we're going to switch off to another topic next week. <laughs> but it, it is it is pretty interesting. I think the big takeaway here too is that the container ecosystem and just everything that's going on around it, it's so much bigger than just Docker. There is a lot of activity and yeah. um, different technologies and, and um, pros and cons and, and tools and just folks working on this space. And there, it's, it's, it's pretty interesting um, and it can go pretty broad and pretty deep. So I want to interrupt you real quick, Chris. Um, we have a third guest with us on the show today, it sounds like, and maybe you could introduce him uh, to our listeners. Is that Gus? Do you hear Gus? Yeah. <laughs> Gus is taking his nap right now, so you'll have to... Um, <laughs> I think he just... You know, it's like, he's pretty, he's, he's pretty this quiet. This stuff is freaking boring. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll see if we can't do something about that. Um, here shortly, but yeah, that's Gus. He's my my beloved black lab. He is my best friend, and he comes to work with me every day. So um, cool, he would say cool. hi right now, but he is obviously he's down for the count. Cool. Let's see if we can get a, a picture of Gus, and I'll put it on Twitter and Reddit or something so that everybody can say hi. Perfect. All right. All right. So with that, why don't we why don't we just jump into it then and start talking about uh, container runtimes? All right. Let's go. All right. Yeah. So. Um, so again, so we, you know, last episode we talked about containers, what they are, the underlying technology, um, you know, okay, that's all great, but we actually have to be able to do something about this, right? We, we need to be actually to, to, to create these things, to start them, to run them, to, um, stop them. Uh, we need things like, you know, just the full lifecycle management. We need like, how do we deal with like definitions of containers so you know images and where do we get that stuff from and chris this is not uh and not to already go back to what we were talking about last week with the pseudocode example but but just to make sure i understand container runtimes would be kind of what you were attempting to create with your pseudocode example like that would be the kind of that would be a pseudocode example of creating a container runtime yeah we were we were basically creating our own little minimal Runtime, right? So mm-hmm. you need you need something that says, "Hey, I want to create a container um, and run it," and that's what we were doing in that pseudocode example. And do you know why they use the word runtime instead of app or application or program? I mean, it's just a little bit technical that term, and it, I think it it's a bit daunting. Usually, where, where runtime is easy for me is when it's like. Is that a compile time bug or a runtime bug? Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, well, runtime means 
the bug is something that happens when you run the program and it can't be caught during compilation. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what, I don't know. I just, I don't want to go off the rails here, but it is kind of funny. Um, why, why call it a runtime instead of a program or an application? I, was, I mean, we had to use some terminology for it. So we could have, I mean, you could have called it something like launcher, or you could have called it manager, or you could have called, um, you know, control panel or, you know, mission control or something like that, right? So you need something. And at the end of the day, its job essentially is to run containers. Mm-hmm. So it's the runtime support of these containers. And so therefore, you know, run, I mean, runtime is as good of a name as, you know, and we have to pick some kind of name for it. Okay. It might be a little bit confusing with, you know, languages have runtime, um, runtimes, you know, like mm-hmm. and back in the back in the old days at Microsoft, the MS, the 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 Microsoft runtime libraries for C, right? It was like that was like a core dependency. Um, just about every single C application you built for the Windows platform using Visual Studio, um, that was part of it. But that that was just you know just a library um, of, of of code, um, and that was called the runtime. So. So that kind of helps. It sort of tells me that a runtime is something that needs to go along with some other thing that's the the, the application or program that you're intending to run. Mm-hmm. That's that's useful for me. Like this terminology, like getting your head around it, a lot of times that's like half the battle because the terminology is in software is so specific. And you know, if you understand the specificity, if you understand why those choices were made, a lot of times that means you understand the technology. Yeah, and then maybe I mean, just another way of looking at it is like sometimes like names can be confusing, and so you can't just because you see the same word in multiple places doesn't mean they're they're the same thing. Sometimes they can be really mm-hmm. different concepts and whatnot, right? So it's really mm-hmm. under, it's sure. really important to understand like okay, what is it and what is it doing? And this is one of the reasons why we're doing this whole series, right? Virtual machines versus containers, and let's it all kind uh-huh. of started with this concept of oh, containers like they're just lightweight virtual machines. Right and right. Turn it turns hopefully by the end of this, everyone that you know has stuck with us and listened to all these four episodes will will agree like that's just an incorrect statement. Mm-hmm. Right, they're really two different things completely. Mm-hmm. They're both involved in virtualization, but okay, totally different things. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so sorry for the side detour. Uh, let's go back to talk about these container runtimes. Yeah, so so we so we need we need a runtime um, to 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 instantiate these containers to run them and whatnot. And so what what are they responsible for? So the runtimes are responsible for things like setting up namespaces and C groups for containers. So remember those from last week. Mm-hmm. So we need something to do it again. That's what our pseudocode example was doing. It was setting up our namespaces and C groups. So that's what a runtime is doing. It's also running commands inside those namespaces and C groups. So that's the Again, going back to that pseudocode example, that was the second process that was launched where it actually is now launching the command for our actual container that we want to run, right? And once that namespace was set up. And so, again, we'll come back to this, we'll walk through it a little bit more in depth. And this will, I think, really kind of like sum things up and, and thread it all back together. Well, let me, let me just help a little bit there, though, because that was sounded like it was going to be hard, but then it was just so easy. Like, you were like, we're talking about runtimes, and then you started saying what they're responsible for, and you started listing things, and I was like, oh my God, this list is going to get long, and I'm going to get lost. But no, you said that they're responsible for setting up namespaces and C groups, and then running commands inside those namespaces and C groups. 
And those are the container runtime responsibilities. That's it. There, there's, there's, there's more to that, but it, you know, I mean, in general, I mean, that is essentially what it is, right? I mean, it, we like with that pseudocode example. I mean, we were basically creating a runtime, and it's this is what it means to to we talked about. I mean, a container is just a program, right? That has been isolated. It's just a process. It's been isolated using these these operating system features, namespaces, and C groups. So, what does it need to do? It needs to set up those namespaces. It needs to fork that process, and it needs to mm-hmm. attach it to the right C groups, right? So that at the end of the day, like that's what the runtime is doing. Now, there's a whole bunch of value added stuff that gets built on top of that, right? right. Maybe it's doing some telemetry, and maybe it's doing some signal handling. Yes, it's doing you know all that, and then so much more, right? You have the whole lifecycle management of like, okay, I need to know what what containers are running, and I need to know like, okay. How do I actually define a container? Like, what is what does that look like? Um, so before we, you know, we're manually creating that by creating a root file system by okay. um, instantiating Docker and exporting out um, busy, you know, inst- instantiating a version of BusyBox and exporting out its file system and using that. Right. So we were doing a. If you, could you imagine like doing those kinds of steps just to run like containers in production? Like there's, it was hard enough. It's <laughs> right. hard enough to get people to move to containerization, right? Because it's such a, and we talked about this in previous episodes. How it's, it's really a, it's a, it's a culture change. It's a people change. It's a process change. It's not just technology. Like it really does change the way you work. It is, it is asking people to think about things differently and, and work a bit differently. Could you imagine if we also said, by the way, like this is, these are the commands that you have to type every time, um, mm-hmm. and you have yeah. to go to slash proc to go see where your contain, you know, what's what containers are running, and you need to use things like ps tree, and uh, you have to know all about Linux namespaces and C groups if you want to limit the memory. So that's why we have these runtimes, right? It's like we don't want to deal with that stuff. Um, and right, we, we right. shouldn't have to, right? Like we need this core yeah. plumbing. Right. So I guess it, it, it is doing a lot more, but I think you can probably pass the interview if you can come up with, you know, they're creating the namespaces and C groups and they're running commands inside yep. those namespaces and C groups. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Um, and so we should also kind of mention that there's really kind of two broad types of runtimes. We have low level and we have high level. And so the low, a low level runtime in general, that's responsible for the task related purely to just containers. So creating to creating containers, terminating containers, attaching a process to an existing container, that is the the realm of the low level runtime. And then high level runtimes are now building abstractions and additional features on top of that. So it's it's the high level container runtimes will will do things like um, handle image creation, like how do you actually build an image um, to define a container? Um, how do you manage those images? And they will let a high level runtime will defer the low level task to that low level runtime. So they 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 work very much in concert. And we're going to see this as we as we talk about two of the most popular ones: Run C and Container D. In a little bit here. Okay, that makes sense though. That makes sense. Yeah, that's that's easy enough. Lo, like low level and high level. Okay, mm-hmm. that's fine. Yeah. One is dealing with the, making the containers, and the other is dealing with sort of the the extra 
the images and the management of them and the things that make it easier. The thing yeah, that, it's, the it's everything that else that like, you need yeah. in order to actually run this stuff, right? To actually run your applications right, right. on it. Yeah. Cool. Got it. Um, Got it. So before we go, um, you know, more into just like a, let's we can talk about things like Run C and Container D. We probably should talk a little bit about container standards, and this is kind of important, right? So the, there's there's this standards called the Open Container Initiative (OCI). Um, it's it was established in June 2015 by by Docker and and other companies, and really this is putting out the open source standards specs for for containers and specifically there's there's two specs here there's one for the runtime spec and there's one for the image spec right and so this is all about like defining that that lingua franca that's going to allow multiple different runtimes out there and people to you know plug and play as they want but as long as they conform to this standard so OCI pretty important and again, these two specs, the runtime spec and the image spec. You know, as we go forward and we talk about the various runtimes and other platform implementations, OCI will will become pretty important, right? Because this 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 allows these tools to interoperate um, so that you can you can pop out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wanted to I wanted to add to that. Mm-hmm. It's that interoperability, that's what the specification is about. So so there may be in the runtime, there may be things that create a container, destroy a container. Um, run a command inside a container, pause a container, mm-hmm. I don't know, various things that you can do to containers. Mm-hmm. And it's not saying how all that happens, it's just saying that containers have to respond to all these things. It's saying containers must be able to do this, they, mu- they must be able to be yep. execute a command, they must be able to be destroyed or created. And then images is probably something along the lines of like, here's the actual file structure that you have to use for your image so that you can hand an image from one one container runtime to another, and the image works mm-hmm. on either one. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. So, so think of it as this is the interface, right? This is the you're defining the interface. Um, implementation is up to whoever wants to go build something that conforms to that standard. But these are the rules. This is the guidelines. Mm-hmm. So nice to write that after you've already written your implementation. And have the most popular implementa- implementation. <laughs> I mean, really. I mean, that that's kind of how all this stuff evolved. I mean, it always works was, that way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Docker was yeah. was definitely at the forefront here. Hats off to them, right? Like they they didn't keep it closed and they didn't keep it proprietary. They really wanted this to be open source, and they did it really early on. And so they they saw what was happening. They wanted the ecosystem to take off. Um, it wasn't. They didn't want it all necessarily to themselves. They wanted to see the broad adoption. And so they did the work, right, to break up the software that they had been building. Um, they took the lead on putting this into the open source community and have these standards committees um, to define these specs. And it's really led to like where we are today, where it this is a very robust, rich ecosystem with lots of development going on. And it, and it, it just wouldn't be possible if this kind of this 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 foundation wasn't there, so it's it is it's it's pretty 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 important, pretty impressive. So yeah, those container standards are super important, um, and it makes sense to me that uh, you know of course any company that wants to lead the charge around 
you know, being the de facto container to go with is going to want to have a heavy hand in creating those standards. And, and it's good, though, that Docker created standards and shared them with the world and, and now open sourced a lot of the work that they did so that they can, so that we can take advantage of it and, and grow it and improve upon it. Um, but yeah, help me understand now with those standards um, for the runtime specification and the image specification, um, I guess, tell me about RunC and Container D. Right, so RunC and Container D definitely some of the most most widely used tools out there in the container namespace in the container space. RunC is a low level container runtime. Container D is a high level container runtime. Both of these came out of basically the work at Docker, where they were again spun out. So no coincidence that RunC conforms to the the OCI spec for the runtime um, specification that they have. Um, and so RunC is a tool for spawning and running containers um, that are um, OCI compliant. It's um, supported on the Linux platform. And again, it was originally developed as part of Docker. And later they, they lifted it out as a separate open source project. Um, so again, I mean, just the, the history here, really interesting, you know, with Docker and the approach that they've taken where, you know, they started off with, it was kind of a really big monolithic system um, of code for dealing with containers. And, you know, they realized that that was impeding their progress of, of working with under, other vendors and, and other folks that wanted to be in that ecosystem. And so they did the hard work of not only defining the standards and the specs, but they took their monolithic application and they de- decomposed it and they broke it up. And when they broke it up, they spun out big chunks of functionality as just open source projects. So both Run C and Container D, those are both open source projects that are now just out there in the community. And Docker uses these today as part of the, the core Docker platform, but Docker's not the only one that uses it. They're they're used by by many other systems out there. Do you know why there's the C and the D, like the run C and the container D? So runs well. Do you have any idea what that where that came from? Yeah, well, run C is run containers. That's that's the C part. Mm-hmm. Um, container D is it's the container demon. Um, so the D is for demon. Uh, okay. So so run. So the fact that of, C comes before D in the alphabet is irrelevant. It just happens to be that way because that's I was like, ooh, C D. Yeah, no. there's going to be something E, but no, no, no. Um, so run containers and container demon. So so yeah. So run C is just again low level. It's really just that that interface into the um, Linux kernels for for making these containers, for spinning them up, tearing them down. Container D is the high level container runtime portion that uses run C, right? It's it's for those those container operations, it's deferring to run C to do that work. So it's built on top of run C. Mm-hmm. But then it's adding all the other stuff around it that it needs, right? So it's providing an abstraction layer for all the syscalls and the OS specific functionality that are required to run containers. Um, so that way any any platform that wants to build on top of container D they can use those abstraction layers without having to drop down into the kernel, right? So, like, mm-hmm. so what does this mean? I mean, so, so the abstractions that we get to work with here are things like I have a container object, or I have a task object, or I have a snapshot object, right? Okay. Like that's the kind of primitives that I get to work with at the container D level. 
I don't have to manage calls to things like the syscalls, like to clone or to mount. Um, I don't have to deal with that stuff, right? Instead, I can think of it from okay. just a from a from an abstraction level. Mm-hmm. Container D, it's available as a as a daemon um, for both Linux and Windows. And again, it's designed to be embedded into a larger system. So it's designed to be used by container platforms to implement their functionality. So it's used by things like Docker. It's used by Kubernetes. It's used by lots of other systems out there that are that are running containers, right? It's not something that's meant for just end users. And that's why, like, you know, we don't go and install Container D explicitly and, and use Container D, right? It's being used by things like Docker and Kubernetes. It's a daemon, not because containers are daemons, but because it needs to be always running in order to kind of keep track of the containers that are on the machine that may or may not be running and just sort of always be available, right? Yeah, so I mean, this is, you know, it's it's client-server architecture. So it's just like we have microservices that are out there responding to API events, and so that service has to be always running. Um, so the same thing here with Container D. It's it 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 actually exposes its its functionality via um, gRPC API. Um, so it's listening on a Linux socket, right? Right. So as things that need 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 it to do work, right? It's going to be an API call to it, right? I think this is important because um, there's nothing about containers in and of themselves that needs a daemon running, but this is. But if you're going to manage across containers and you're going to treat containers like objects and you're going to listen for commands, kind of constantly listening for commands that may alter your containers or pause them or stop them or destroy them or do whatever to them, then you do need a daemon. So I'm just pointing out that the container D daemon is not a container. It is just this service that's running and helping you manage your containers. Yeah, it's, it, this is an implementation detail of you know how they decided to offer this functionality specifically for Container D. We'll we'll actually talk about some of the other platforms, and one of them, in particular Rocket, has a different architecture um, and cool. doesn't have this 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 daemon style architecture. Right. Yeah, I, th- I thought that could be confusing. Sorry, I want to let you get on, but I just thought that could be confusing because we're talking about the sort of the core things that that let you run containers and and manage them, and it can be easy to confuse that with the things that are running, like the things that are your container. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. So, and 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 if and if containers did require like a daemon and like it always be that then you'd have problems with like oh how do I update Docker right well if the containers running like, mm-hmm. that's gonna be a real problem so mm-hmm. so we'll, we'll we might talk a little bit about that as well um, but just to kind of round this out with Containerd again being a high level container runtime so the the types of things that it's dealing with are uh, image push pull functionality right so if mm-hmm. we need to pull an image or we need to go push an image to some to some repository and it's gonna help help with that it's gonna help with image management. The caching of those, storing them on the the, the file system, um, just keeping track of them. Container D deals with uh, container lifecycle APIs, so the ability to create, execute, manage containers and their tasks. And again, for those container specific stuff, it's going to be deferring underneath the covers to run C. Mm-hmm. But at a high level, I mean, it is the one that's that's offering that up via the API, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so so it has APIs for for doing those kinds of things. And then um, also, you know, other features, functionality like snapshot management um, as well. So again, everything that we need as as developers, as operators to run our containers to make it, you know, kind of straightforward so we can do things like 
Docker run or Docker exec or you know Docker build. These these kinds of functionality are provided by that high level container runtime. Cool. Something maybe to keep it, things that are kind of out of scope are things like networking and to some extent and storage as well. So these are pretty complicated. They're very platform specific, and it's just much more than abstracting Linux calls. Um, and so instead, ContainerD takes the approach of exposing events. This way, consumers can subscribe to those that those events that they care about. And so this provides the mechanism for systems that are building on top of things like ContainerD. They can hook these events and do what they need to do. So like, it may be like, okay, we need to add a um, add an interface to a network namespace. So hook an event for the appropriate time to go and do that kind of work. And so those that those events are exposed by ContainerD, but it actually doesn't do those kinds of things. It defers that to other systems. Okay, makes sense. All right, so that's um, so th- those are you know our basic core runtimes, Run C, ContainerD, again spun out of the work that was done, the core work that was done at Docker, and um, you know they really go hand in hand. You you, it's really ContainerD is what folks are using, and that's that's leveraging Run C. ContainerD is part of the CNCF, um, Cloud Native Computing Foundation. And it is one of the, I think there's six or seven projects now that have graduated. So it, it is one of the core pieces of cloud native open source software that's out there. So again, pretty pretty important piece of software. Mm-hmm. And lots of other systems are, are using it and leveraging it. So with that, why don't we talk a little bit about more about now some of these runtime platforms that build on top of these, 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 these things like ContainerD. And so one top of mind, obviously, that comes is Docker itself. So Docker is using ContainerD. Obviously, it, it was spun out of Docker, and so it continues to use it. Um, and so it uses that. Docker has a client-server architecture. You, your Docker client is doing API commands that are being submitted to the Docker daemon, and the Docker daemon is using ContainerD to, to um, implement those commands. It also uses Docker. Also uses a shim, um, a ContainerD shim that allows it to have daemonless containers, and so this again gives rise to the ability to you can now upgrade your Docker daemon without restarting your containers. We might save that um, the mechanics of how ContainerD shim works in Docker for another another day, another episode, because um, I think it, sure. we could definitely warrant a deep dive into actually the architecture of Docker and how it all works, especially with some of those, right. those um, extra platform-specific areas like networking and storage, which, you know, I mean, we've seen like, oh, overlay networks versus, you know, bridge networks, and like, what does all this stuff mean, and like, why is it even, you know... Where is that handled? So, kind of going into the, the the details of the architecture, and we can talk about container the the shim that's being used here as well um, with Docker. But we'll save that for another day. Okay. Sorry for interrupting. I just wanted to ask you a favor. Would you mind contributing to our boat fund? It's that we've always wanted a boat, and we need money from you in order to get one. But seriously. It takes quite a bit of time and effort to produce MobyCast every week, and we do have some small sponsors, but nothing really speaks to us like 
getting support from our actual listeners. So if you wouldn't mind, go to glow.fm slash mobicast real quick. And it only takes 30 seconds and just contribute. Um, you can subscribe for $5 a month or $10 a month or whatever uh, floats your boat or hopefully soon to be our boat. Anyway, if you give us 5 bucks a month, we'll send you a sticker. And if you give us 10 bucks a month, we'll send you a t-shirt. So looking forward to seeing those subscriptions cruise on in. And now back to the show. Another runtime uh, platform that has been kind of out there and popular is called Rocket, um, R-K-T. Um, I'm pretty sure that's how it's pronounced. That's the way I'm going to pronounce it. <laughs> but so this was, this is a, it's, it's a, it's another container engine runtime. Um, it's part of CoreOS, which comes from Red Hat. And it has this, this concept of a core execution unit being a pod, which is a collection of one or more applications that are executing in a shared context, right? So this is very similar to Kubernetes pods, or in the ECS space, it's very similar to a to an ECS task. Yeah. the The big difference with Rocket, though, is that each pod is executing directly in the classic Unix process model. So there's no central daemon. Um, it's completely self-contained, isolated environment. When you issue client commands. That's launching the containers directly from those client commands. It's not making a call to a to a daemon like it is with container D. Okay. That actual client command is actually just forking that process, right? Mm-hmm. And this I think, you know, there's there's folks out there that really like this aspect to it because it again, it makes it makes it for a cleaner, um, simpler architecture from just a from just like that classic Unix process model standpoint of like everything is a process and you just you know you just fork something off right and it's and, and away you go as opposed to like having like these these APIs and and clients and servers and and right. and, and everything else that goes along with it. So it was part of the CNCF. Um, Again, the Cloud Native Computing Foundation as one of their one of their projects, but it was archived recently, back in August um, of this year. Hmm. So, um, which is kind of a that's a big deal, um, right? To be to be archived. But CN, the CNCF looked at this and said, "Look, we have Container D. Also, we have another one, um, CRI O. These are our these are our now these are going to be the container runtime projects. We don't need this third one." Um, we also they also cited um, some of the reasons that they cited was just that the end user adoption for Rocket has severely declined, and then the project activity and the number of contributors has also steadily declined over time. So, not not good news there. But I wanted to bring up Rocket just because it it's it was just from an architecture standpoint some nice aspects to it. Um, it had a lot of support behind it. It was part of the CNCF, but recently. Just because of the way technology works and, and trends and just where folks are putting their resources, unfortunately, it was on the, the, the losing end of that battle and, and has now kind of, it's basically deprecated. You sound pretty disappointed, like you were a committer or something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, it's just, it's, again, the, you, you, um, you know, we're still just kind of scratching the surface on just the VM and container space and just everything that's going on. And Again, it's really easy just to be like, oh, containers equals Docker, and that's all you need to know. 
Um, and there's just so much more that's going on out there. Sure, There's interesting work being done. Um, and you know, there's going to be winners. There's going to be losers. So yeah, I mean, it's like, there's a lot of folks that put a lot of, a lot of effort into rocket and there were some really cool mm-hmm. things about it, but you know, but again, it's, yeah, you know, you can't have seven different container runtimes. Um, it just, you don't need that. So there's gotta be some winners. No. Yeah. Um, and so speaking of winners, uh, another one is the, um, CRI O, which I'm not sure how, which folks. seems like maybe it should be pronounced cryo. Sure. I mean, Just because like, that's also, gonna... it's like, sounds like cold storage or something. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. So let's call it cryo. Um, and then I'm sure folks in the Kubernetes world will, will uh, let us know that. We're I hope they're pulling their hair out right now. Butchering. Especially if they're in the Kubernetes world. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so this is an implementation of the Kubernetes um, CRI, so the container runtime interface. And so, and this enables that to use OCI compliant runtimes. So really, what, so what this is, this is a lightweight alternative to using Docker or Mobi or Rocket as your runtime for Kubernetes. And so this is, this is, this is a very active project. It is part of the CNCF as one of their I don't. I forget exactly the terminology of what it is. It's not a. It's not a graduated project, but it's definitely an. It's it's an active project inside the CNCF, and this is I think here to stay. And again, it's very much aligned with with Kubernetes. And what it you know really what it allows is it allows Kubernetes to use any OCI compliant runtime as the container runtime for running the pods. And so currently, it's supporting Run C. And also Kata containers, and um, I don't. We're not going to have time to talk about Kata containers today. Um, Kata containers are one of these these new breeds of micro VMs, and these micro VMs though they're OCI compliant, so it's they're marrying the best of both worlds of VMs and containers without having you to change your tooling. So CRI Cryo is um, offering support for either Run C or Kata containers, so it gives you that path. So Pretty pretty interesting if you're on the Kubernetes platform. So then, if you want to make people work hard, then the idea would be to create an OCI compliant runtime that um, Cryo doesn't support and has a really hard time supporting. And then you, you can be like, "Well, you said." <laughs> <laughs> sure. There you go. Yes, you can yes. be uh, kind of contrarian. The evil, the evil plan. I just love yes. it when anybody's like, "You can use any, you know, blah blah blah." And then it's like, "Okay, well, prove it." Here we go. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I think the good news here is like it's easier for Cryo because they just have to conform <laughs> to the OCI runtime spec versus something someone like Kata Containers. Mm-hmm. It's much more difficult, right? They're basically saying like we're offering VMs that act like containers and will be OCI compliant as well, right? So it, Oof, it's much that that's a much more difficult technical problem to do versus mm-hmm. versus from coming the other side. Um, so Kata has their work cut out for them. And less so for cryo. Cool. Yeah. So maybe this is a good time for us to revisit the pseudocode example of like just yeah. us manually creating a container, right? So, so um, you know, we we went through this example. So this is us essentially being run C, right? Run C. Yeah. So um, yeah, you know, we went through this, through this example last time, um, and so why don't we kind of go through it again, and we can see if there's any any questions, um, but hopefully. This will now that we've actually talked about runtimes and what they do. Hopefully, it'll it'll make it a lot more clear. Cool. 
So we want to manually create a container, right? Using these 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 operating system functionalities like namespaces and control groups. So what do we need to do? So the the first step of this is we want to create our root file system that we're going to have for our you know quote container. Okay. And so a really easy way to do this is we're going to leverage we're going to leverage um, an existing. Um, operating system out there, and um, so we can use something like the BusyBox image, run that in Docker, and then extract out that that entire file system from the root onto our disk, right? And so we can just so we can use the Docker export command to do that, and so so we'll do a Docker export on BusyBox, and we can the output of that is going to be a tar file, right? And so now we have a tar file of a complete Linux operating system, you know, minimal Linux operating system that we need. So we now have that on our disk. Wait, before you continue, mm-hmm. I just want to be careful with the word operating system. It's the file system that an operating system would use. But remember, we're, like, we're not going to be creating a, a running operating system. We're going to be depending on the host operating system for everything we do. So it's just I just wanted to kind of point that that terminology out that to be careful with the word operating system, right? Right. So th- this is the file system that that operating system would have, right? That it would see. So it's like, you know, slash Etsy and slash dev yeah. and slash yeah. user and slash opt and whatever, right? So it has all the files there that you would expect to be on that person. But again, as a container, we're going to be leveraging the Linux kernel of our host. Yes. Right. And what we're going to be running inside that file system is just going to be just a normal process, right? That's all a container is. It's just a normal process. It's just a program that's running. Cool. So we need to just set up that space with this root file system. So, so we've done that in the step one by just um, cheating um, or taking the easy way out Mm -hmm. of of leveraging Docker um, to get that. And so then once we do that, then what we need to do is we need to have our we're gonna we're gonna have our launcher program, if you will, right? And this is this is really the runtime program, our runtime program. So we're gonna have a program. We can we can we need to write it in a language that's gonna allow us to make the syscalls that we need to make um, the operating system. And, and syscalls, it's just really library calls, right? You're just in, but the library you're going against is the the Linux kernel library. So it's just an SDK, right? Just as if you were to make you know. Um, writing iOS code and you're you're making calls to some you know SDK for image manipulation or something in, in iOS, right? You're using an SDK to make those calls. So the same thing with these syscalls. And syscalls live somewhere on a Linux operating system file system, right? Like they live in slash lib, yeah. Like the, each syscall you might make has a corresponding file somewhere, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there, there's there's two different ways of of accessing this. One is programmatically, and then one is via the the shell, right? The command line and yeah, yeah, typing yeah. stuff, right? So, um, and I'm talking about pro- programmatically. So, programmatically, like you would look up a syscall that you need, you would look it up in the man page, and the man page would say, "Well, you need to import these header files uh, to use the syscall," and then mm-hmm. those header files are going to live somewhere, and the actual libraries behind those header files are going to live somewhere, and those I think are in slash lib, but I could be wrong. 
like the core core ones I think are in not slash user slash lib but slash lib I think mm-hmm. yeah it might be but when you when you make your program when you compile it's going to go grab that stuff and yep and put it into your into your binary right so um, it, yep. so it need, it needs you you need to have that those libraries somewhere right so yeah so it's going to be part of the the file system but when you go and compile and link it's going to pull that stuff together into your into your executable mm-hmm. all right um so so again so so we we now have so we're going to we're going to have our program, our, our launcher, which is, again, our, our runtime. And so the first thing we're going to do is we're going to go and set up our namespaces that we need in order to provide the isolation for our container. So we can, let's just say we're using Go. Go has a command object um, abstraction in it. And on that command object, I can do things like set attributes that will enable the kind of flags that I need for making the, the Linux system calls to set up these namespaces. So on my command object, I can say, oh, I want a new, a new um, namespace for the file system. I want a new namespace for the network. And I want a new namespace for UTS, right? So the host name or something like that. And then once I've set that stuff up, I can then go ahead and create the, uh, a process Right, um, fork a new process that now is inside that with that namespace created, and for this particular example, what we'll do is we'll just end up invoking ourselves again, right? So we because we need some process to invoke, so we're just going to go ahead and invoke ourselves again, and we can do that through the shortcut of just referencing slash proc slash self slash xe. So, Chris, do you mind if I say this again in in a way that makes sense in my head, and hopefully. Um Hopefully the people that understand you already understand and they're like, God, stop talking, John. And people that understand me are like, okay, what are you going to say? <laughs> so, uh, so you're saying, I'm right, you're saying you're like, you're writing a Go program. The Go program, inside the code of the Go program, you're making a namespace or multiple namespaces and you're making some C groups. And then now that you've got those and maybe you have some variables that they're in, right? You've got like, my namespaces and you've got my C groups or something. You've got some variables that got namespaces, they got C groups. And then you're saying, okay, I'm gonna make a new process and I'm gonna put the process in those namespaces and, and you know attach it to those C groups. And in order to make a new process, instead of just saying like, okay, computer, make a new process, you're just gonna say, clone myself. You're just gonna say, make me over again. And the nice thing about saying make me over again is that you were you may have already been started like your process when when your program that you're creating was run it may have been created and run with like certain um, within a certain context like people whoever typed in the command or or whoever called that program that you're writing they it may have been started with certain conditions by whoever started it whether it was a user or another program if you clone yourself or if you like if you make a copy of your same self, then that will go along with it. And I think that's kind of a key thing. Instead of like going and creating a whole brand new separate process, ma- making a copy of yourself kind of retains any, any attributes that you want to retain about yourself. Plus, you can then put yourself, put that new copy of yourself into those namespaces and give it those C groups. Yeah? Y- yeah. I mean, it, it, so it's, 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 um, and it's just easier, right? Like just copy yourself is easier than making a whole new process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and again, I mean, for this in this particular, it's just it's a, it's a two step process. I mean, the first like when you first launch, you're still in the whatever namespace you were in, right? So what, and that could be the root namespace or whatnot. So you need to create a new process that sets up the namespaces that you want 
proper. Once that's set up, then you can do the second process of, okay, what's the actual program I want to run for my container? That's going to be my container. Um, And then setting up everything that goes along with that container, like, okay, what, what mounts do I need to make? What about C groups? Like what, how do I want to limit, do I need to limit resources or whatnot? Um, And what's the actual executable for that? So Mm -hmm. it's a two-step process, but by first creating the the namespaces to begin with, any children of that are going to be relegated to that isolation, right? So that, Mm -hmm. so it's, it's just, I mean, it's just a two-step process um, in this particular example, right? So, mm-hmm. and again, we just need some. It doesn't even really. I mean, we we use the same executable because you can have code inside that that launcher program to say like, you know, am I being launched initially or do am I a child process, right? And then do the right thing, right? Yeah, right. And and let's refer to earlier in the episode too when we said that the container runtime is responsible for setting up namespaces and C groups for con- for containers. So that's what. You said it's the first step and running commands inside those namespaces and secrets, mm-hmm. and that's the second step. Yeah, and that's and so that's exactly what we're doing in our example, right? So the the first time through, we're setting up the namespaces. The second time through, we're actually running the command, and we can attach the the secrets as well. Cool. And that is basically how you do a how you create a container. Um, I guess there was a piece that I kind of missed. So if we're going to copy ourselves. Were we already started? When we were started, were we already started with the like command of the container? Like, so say the container's command is to run some shell script. Was that already what we were, or is there like a third step where you know we're we're run C, we're going to start ourselves. Run C is going to make a names make make namespaces, make C groups, and then it's going to make a copy of itself. So okay, now there's a new run C. It's inside the mm-hmm. um, it's inside the namespaces and C groups. But how do you get that shell script started? Yeah, so it's it's up to it's up to us and how we want to implement it. I mean, for us, we could do like we call our like let's just call our program like launcher, and then we could just say launcher, and then after that, have some command line arguments that actually indicate what what's going to be the the process for our container, right? And so it's just given as arguments to that command. So it it runs and it says, oh, if I'm if I'm the parent, then I'm going to go set up namespaces or whatever. If I'm the child, then from the argument, I now know what command I need to run inside that container. Ah, uh, okay, okay. So the the program is saying the parent is going to set up namespaces, and that's like how like Linux programs work. They look at what mm-hmm. process they are, mm-hmm. and then they if if they're the parent, they do some stuff, and if they're the child, they do other stuff. And you're saying if if I'm the child, I better run this command that it got passed into me. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Cool. That makes sense. And th- and this is really this is really really similar to how Run C works as well. Mm-hmm. But again, just trying to hopefully remove some of that mystery and kind of just paint that picture of at the, you know at the end of the day, like containers, all they are is just another process or a collection of processes. And what makes them different is that they're isolated via namespaces um, in what they can see and isolated in what they can do with control groups. Right. And before the episode, before we started recording, I had asked you a very specific question that I think for me was kind of like, aha, kind of, oh, yeah. So we were talking about, you know, like shell access to a container or like SSHing into a container. And I think I asked you, let's talk about SSHing into a container and whether that's really what's happening or what you're doing. But before we talk about that, let, let me ask that very same specific question I asked you before. I said, imagine you have a container and the container, all it does is run a program called wait and the program waits for like 10 minutes. And let's say in the, in the, um, 
operating system files that you use to create your container container image, there was a there was a cron tab file, and the cron tab said, "Every minute, I'm going to go ping a server. I'm going to go ping a server and say, hey, 'Hey, I'm here.' Once a minute." And my question for you was, when I run that container, would that cron tab file get ex- would the instructions in that cron tab file get executed once a minute? And what I see while it's waiting for that ten minutes, what I see ten pings of my server. And what did you say? And so it just, it's by default, no, that's not going to happen, right? Because again, containers are just, it, it's just a process, right? So you're, you're giving it some, some executable to run. Mm-hmm. And so when you instantiate the container, that's, that's the command that's getting run. So it just depends on what your entry point is into that container. Um, so in like, if you're creating a Docker image, right, you're going to specify what that entry point is. Like, this is the program yep. to run. Um, and like, when yep. we talk about like SSHing into a container, if you think about it, we're not really SSHing into a container. Right. We are executing the shell against a particular container. Right. So we're saying we're doing yep. Docker exec container and then bash or sh right. or whatever it is. Right. So we're but we're not SSHing into that container. Right. Because right. SSH daemon's not running in that container. Right. right? That's not the so, process. And that was the part I was looking forward to saying is like, sure, you could SSH into a container, but you'd have to have your, you know, the thing that the container is executing. One of the things would have to be SSHD. Mm-hmm. You, yep. you run that. Boom, you can SSH into a container. Yep. Or if you want the cron tab file to get read and for all those cron jobs to happen, you could execute cron D. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like, then those will get run. Yeah. Yep. So okay. that is sort of an aha moment for me because it was like, oh yeah, like these are not little computers. They are not lightweight virtual machines. They are programs, they're processes. Yep. Exactly. Cool. And that is the big takeaway. That's the big takeaway. Containers are just processes. Yes. And you have to instantiate them. Like if there's certain things that you need, you have to. So and you, again, you can create children inside your container, right, to do things. And that's how you can make them more capable and to do more things. So like a, a typical part a pattern might be like my entry point in my container is going to be a shell script. And in that shell script, I may kick off like five separate processes, right? Those are all children, though, inside that container. And now I have all this other functionality. So maybe I'm running Nginx and, um, you know, Node.js mm-hmm. um, inside my container, right? So it's not, mm-hmm. but my, I had my single entry point into that, which was my shell script, right? I, I couldn't do both Nginx and kick off my Node from directly as PID1 of that of that container. Right. Super cool. I think we're there. I think, I think I understand better than I did four episodes ago. So I appreciate all the stuff you've taught. Awesome. All of us. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, this was this was fun. I'm glad we I'm glad we did it. You know, the you know, this again is a kind of a celebration of the very first episode of MobyCast where we, you know this this is what kicked it all off was like, hey, Trying to just you know describe like what is the difference between a virtual machine and a container and like you know the common answer is like well containers are just lightweight VMs and so that was our first episode of MobyCast and we got most of it most of the information that we said there was right but we could have gone a lot deeper and some of the stuff was was not nearly as clear so we've revisited here we've done a four part series where we've really gone into detail of VMs versus containers and what they are and how they work and. You know, hopefully now everyone has a much 
they can answer this question, right? And so if someone asks you, you know, it says like, oh, containers are just lightweight virtual machines. You can say, well, no, not really. Like they're, yes, they're virtualization, but they're pretty different. And here's how they're different. And this is, this is how they work. And it is kind of important, right? Because virtual machines, containers, like this is part of our standard tool set with everything we do with cloud native computing. And so kind of going more, more detailed, really understanding how they work and what they are, it's just going to make us all better um, as, as yeah. developers, as operators, as architects. So I think it's time well, well we're spent. Yep, yep. All right, Chris. Well, next week it's not going to be the same topic. I'm actually not sure what we'll talk about next week yet, but it's going to be great. So I'll look forward to talking to you again next week. All right, see you then. Talk to you then. Bye. All right, bye. Nobody listens to podcast outros. Why are you still here? Oh, that's right. It's the outro song. Come talk to us at mobicast.fm or on Reddit at r slash mobicast. 